What's up, family, and welcome to another episode of Men Thrive. Uh, if you've had a chance to listen to the podcast before, you know that we are having incredible conversations with incredible brothers who are transparent enough to tell us a little bit about themselves, what they're doing great, what they wish they were doing better, in hopes that we can have conversations with men that help them show up whole, operate, enjoy, and live with power. And I've had the ability to talk to some incredible men in different phases of their lives and different phases of their careers, and this week is no different. It is a pleasure to introduce this brother. He has been on the scene for quite some time, came out of Philly, where he just destroyed all things that were spoken word. Uh, This brother was discovered by Russell Simmons and was invited to be on Deaf Poetry Jam and never looked back. Every season of Deaf Poetry Jam, he was on it. In fact, if you watched Deaf Poetry Jam, you had to see him because he was the poet that was on Deaf Poetry Jam more than any other poet. He also had a starring role in the Tony Award winning Deaf Poetry Jam on Broadway. This brother's been all over the place. He now lives in Amsterdam, is a father, is a poet, is a teacher, is an activist. Uh, But more than that, he is a human, a man that's attempting to be his best self every single day. I appreciate being able to call him friend. This brother is Black Ice, and I'm so glad that he is here. Salute to you, brother. I appreciate you, but you're an inspiration, man. So I'm wondering, one, what was it like as an artist who Mm -hmm. I don't get the sense wanted to be an entertainer, to be a part of an entertainment game? Yeah, I I never, I never tried, man. I just was, I'm me. I was always just me. Um, I've always been Sideshow Bob. (laughs) I've always been an entertainer. Um... And it's what I've loved to do. Like I said, from that from that fourth grade play, bringing bringing a certain part of myself to life on stage, but also the reaction and the response of how happy and how how touching you could do as an artist. Um, it was always that, so I was never really trying to be. And I was a, I'm a barber by trade. But I was the entertainment of the barbershop. You say about the owner, uh, you know, like the owner of my shop was like, man, I can't wait till you get out of here and get on somebody's stage. You know, most people don't know that I'm probably the silliest cat on the planet. You know, people take that deaf poetry, those segments, those little three minute pieces, and they think that that's who I am. I'm this angry, super black cat that's walking around, and they don't know, like, I'm super silly Mm -hmm. and happy and. You know, happiness is my religion. You know, like I, I. So, for me, I was never trying to. When I tried to, it didn't work out. You know, what I you tried. I auditioned for deaf poetry. Uh, I auditioned for deaf poetry before, uh, when it was just when it first became an idea, concept, and they were doing these nationwide talent searches for poets or whatever. So I moved to New York, and I was, and the the, the audition came. And uh, and I went to the audition, got standing ovation from from the, the judges, the other people, the, you know, who was there, the other people, contestants or whatever who was there. And then Bruce George came out. I was like, oh, my God, incredible, blah, 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 blah. Gave me his number, yada, yada, yada. And, um, and, and then I didn't get picked for anything. But mm. that's a whole nother spiritual conversation. I know why I didn't get picked. You know, that's a whole nother spiritual conversation, but. I didn't get picked for anything, but I just kept being and say, you know, because I am, like I tell people all the time, butt naked, butt naked in my living room with nothing. 
I'm gonna let these bars go. Mm-hmm. It's who I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, you know, so I don't need nothing, literally nothing. So how did it be that? So how did it feel though? Right? Because you, you call your dad, mm. you have the wooden nickel conversation. Um, you, you then are transitioning into this space. It was incredible. Let me tell me about it. As artists, it was incredible. You know, as artists, we're narcissists, you know, as poets, poets, we're narcissists, but then we like, you know, it's the whole thing. Like, I don't care. Don't nobody like my shit, but I hope everybody love my shit, you know? And, and so there's that, there's, there's always that, that oxymoron of, you know, and so it felt as an artist, it was vindicating. It was, uh, it was me living more, living into me. Um, and of course I went from being a barber in Brooklyn at the time, you know, I'm cutting hair in Brooklyn to all of a sudden a week later, I'm sitting up in Russell's penthouse mm-hmm. In between David Rosenberg, chief financier, American Express, and Diddy's mom, you know. So as an artist, it was like, oh shit, nigga, I made the shit, you know. <laughs> and then also to go from, you know, you know how they turn it on. Yeah, they sending you car service. All of a sudden, now I didn't have to get on the train to come from Philly to New York. Now mm-hmm. they were sending a fucking Cadillac SUV all the way down to Philly. To, to pull me up there. It was like, all of those things were, were bananas. Um, obviously, great things to experience, you know. Um, but I was a little confused at certain points because I went in when I, after, you know, a week after I met Russell, my mom got locked up, mm. which kept it completely balanced. Yeah. You know, like my worst nightmare and my wildest dream was happening right at the same time. And it probably created a whole nother level of focus about why you needed to be in this space at all. Right. Now dig this, now dig this though. One week in one week's time, I'm running around my man hip who was a uh, part of rough riders. Uh, he's taking me around cause the, 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 the talk had started happening mm-hmm. and behind the scenes. Oh, Russell got this poet signed to Def Jam and blah, 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 blah. And Leo's talking about he's the next Chuck D and Tupac and blah, 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 blah. So my man hip is taking me around to hit factory to, you know, to, uh, uh, to the hit factory, to, to quad studios. And he introduced me to all these cats. I met within two weeks, I met everybody like Jay, you know, Jay, you know, Jay Z. I met all of the rough rider crew. I met all of the, you know, the rock, all of the Def Jam cats, you know, that was on at the time. You know, and mm-hmm. it was when Def Jam was like, Def Jam was Jay, DMX, mm-hmm. Ja Rule, Eve, you know, and then all of a sudden this poet gets signed <laughs> to the label, you know, and um, and it was dope because obviously I, I do my thing, but it was also very daunting, you know, uh, and I'm not, and I'm not an ego person. So that was, I think that was the hardest thing to deal with was the egos of these cats and the weirdness behind that. Like, I've always been me. So to get around these cats where they like got these personas yeah. and I, you know, I grew up in the bar. I, I'm, I, I became a grown man in the barbershop, which is the realest place on the planet, you know? So I was very prepared when it popped, when everything popped off, I kind of was it, the, my world prepared me for it to keep me humble, to keep me sane, to keep me motivated. And, um, and man, it was it was a beautiful feeling, but it was also disturbing because I just didn't understand why 
I had been placed there. And then my man, Nate, from, from the Boogie Down Bronx, I was staying with my best friend, Basil, who without him, I, you would not know Black Ice at all. He took me to my first poetry set, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my man, Nate, comes in the crib. He said, yo, y'all got to see it. Y'all got to watch this movie. I'm going to put y'all down with this movie. And at the time, I'm wondering to myself, why, how the fuck did I get here? Why am I talking to Jay-Z? Why, is, why am I in the office with Russell? Why, why, you know, God, why had one of my Joe Clark shit? Like, why has thou forsaken <laughs> me, you know? And, uh, and my man Nate comes in. He said, man, you got to check this flick out. And the flick was a spook who sat by the door. The spook who sat by the door. And when I say, this is two weeks in to me meeting Russell. This is how the universe, this is uh-huh. how God, whatever we call that supreme force. He found, he found a way to get your father in the room. <laughs> right. So I'm watching this spook who sat by the door and I said, that's it. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to, because I know the foul, I know the faults of the record industry. I know like, uh, you know, I, I've, I've studied that. I, I, at that point, I had studied that stuff because I'm a self-studier. So I, I read books like Hitman. You know, and I read books like uh, An Empire of Their Own, mm-hmm. How the Jews Created Hollywood, all of these things. So, and I didn't even know that I was preparing myself for that. Like, you know, so as it comes back, like how did it feel? It was always full circle. And then I watched that spook sat by the door and I said, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to learn this shit from the top down, from the top down, and take that shit back to cats around the way and let them know what the real is with this, with this wild ass industry. Mm-hmm. You know, and I started learning and I realized, okay, the average rapper only makes 42 cents per CD after he, you know, and that he can only make that money after he pays back that 1.7 million that it takes to break an artist. Mm -hmm. And you got to, and you pay him back that 1.7 million, 42 cents at a time. While you're still incruing debt. While you're still incruing debt because it's what to do after the first album, they automatically give you that second album budget. By the time your third album comes, you're usually in debt with a record label almost a million bucks, mm-hmm. if not more. You know, you're not getting no royalty check. You know, so I realized that that was my path. Like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. So now I'm, I'm, I'm in there, but I'm and I'm, I'm observing. And every time I got a chance to get around some cats and they, oh man, Mar, what's that? I give them the real. You know, I give, I give them the real. I remember I, I, I schooled Fabulous one day. Uh, I was doing I was doing the Real Talk album, and I came in there, and I always got books. You know, cat. I don't know why cats are so amazed that I got books in my book bag. It's a book bag. You know what I'm like, <laughs> said, like, what you? Yeah, yeah, that bag heavy as shit. What you got in there? Uh, books, nigga. Like, <laughs> you know. And so, Jacob the Jeweler came into Fab session. I remember, like, you know, because Pharrell came down, and Pharrell at the time, I think she was he was seeing Lauren London. Cause I remember I was being, I was like, I couldn't look at her. She was gorgeous. I was like, I can't even look at her because I am feel like I'm, I'm being a creep right now, you know, like, and so Jacob comes in he's got like $2 million worth of jewelry that these cats are looking at. Casually. Right. <laughs> and, and then I, I start having a conversation with the engineer about Dick Asher hmm. and Morris Levy. And Walter Yitnikoff, you know, Dick Asher is the father of publishing, mm-hmm. you know, and these dudes didn't know who Dick Asher was. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you got, you sitting here looking at a couple million dollars worth of jewelry. You in this super studio, mm-hmm. you signed to a super label. 
and you don't you know don't the know. history of publishing. Yeah. And who made the rules for the game you in. Right, right. The game you in, you don't even know the rules for the game you in. So for me, it was always the spook who sat by the door. I was always, even with them cats, like the rap, I did a joint with Nas and turned Nas on to the nigga Bible by Decoy. You know yeah. You know, he was, when I went to go do it, I did a, I mean, him and I did a track for the Hip Hop Is Dead album. It didn't make it. And then, but he was like, uh, the couple cats said, man, why is your bag so heavy, Mar? <laughs> Say, cause there's books in there. They get like, you know, and it's oh, I, and Nas was like, oh wow, what kind of books you got? So I pulled out. I had, I think I might have had the uh, uh, Metuneta in there. Mm. Uh, you know, all woke niggas had the Metuneta. Especially you at, know, that t- had, at that time. Yeah, I didn't even understand. I didn't. First of all, I didn't understand that book until two years ago. Uh, <laughs> I still don't carried, understand. I've been, <laughs> I've been carrying it around since I was twenty-two. No, nah, listen, it, I, it, I, I remember. You you know who put me onto that? Khalid Muhammad put me on the Metuneta. Hmm. Mm, I and, heard uh, Kyla talk about it, and and that's who put me onto it. Yeah, so you know, and Nas, I said when I pulled out the nigger Bible, he's like, "What is that? The nigger Bible?" I was like, "Oh, you never." So I signed. I said, "Here's yours." I'm I'm famous for giving cats books. You know, like oh, you never did. And I gave it to him, and so it, the feeling was always dope. It was vindicated when I go back to the barbershop. Cat say, "Hey man, you said you was gonna do that shit," and I didn't even remember that. Mm-hmm. One day spout my mouth off. I said, I'm going to be the first poet signed to a, a major, you know, a major hip hop label. And I called that shit into existence. And then it happened, you know, but I wasn't trying to make it happen. I was just being me. So, so in that, because I'm, I'm super curious and this is something you and I have not had a conversation about you, you, you know, you crack this entertainment wall that had existed in a lot of ways for for poets, spoken word artists. You do several seasons of Deaf Poetry Jam. You're part of the every season, every season of Deaf Poetry Jam. I was on I, I was on there more than anybody else. I'm sorry, I don't. No, no. This. Listen, brother. Listen, we we need six to be seasons, factual. Six seasons. Yeah, six seasons. I was on there eight times. And and so and then part of the inaugural cast of Deaf Poetry Jam on Broadway. And mm-hmm. then you all tour and fast forward and Lamar is in Amsterdam. And mm-hmm. he's not in Amsterdam on a trip this time. Like he there. Yeah, I've been here. Walk like walk me through because it's funny, I, I was having a conversation. I was telling one of my guys that, that I was gonna interview you and I said that's the one thing that I, I don't think he and I have ever really talked about. And almost every activist that has ever remained sane left mm. the United States. Mm. And so, so you know, when, when you think about it, whether you're talking about Du Bois or whether you're talking about... Um, um, Richard Wright, Baldwin. I mean, you, hell, you, you talk about um, you, you t- uh, well, Carmichael. Uh, uh, um, Marvin Gaye, Carmichael. Like, Ta-Nehisi. Literally, the, the cats that have been able to remain sane are the ones mm-hmm. who are like, yeah, I'm about to I'm about to bounce the fuck up out of here. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's why you did it. I'm curious as to why uh Lamar now lives in Amsterdam versus mm. being here. So back in 2015, um I met my lady. She actually hired her and her twin sister have a, 
a huge arts initiative over here. She actually hired me to teach. They had something called Art Rules, mm. where you know they, uh, once a year they go back there. My my lady has uh, uh, roots. Her mother is from Aruba, and her father is from Suriname. And uh, so they would they saw the disparity in the arts. Oh yeah, on the island. So they created this initiative to where they would reach out to their network and have like iconic, you know, uh, iconic artists in their respective disciplines come and do these two week, you know, a two, uh, uh, a two week long workshop, um, with these, you know, with, with this, with the, the aspiring artists of the Island. Mm. So, uh, Rich Medina, who's like my big bro, you know, big DJ, big Rich Medina is, uh, who's a poet as, as well, you know, like, and Rich is, is a Philly staple. Uh, Rich caught me because it's funny because Lemon was supposed to do art rules. Ah. My castmate Lemon yep. was supposed to do art rules, but he had to back, he had to cancel out because he couldn't get a passport for his daughter in time enough. So he had to back out of it. Rich, they're in Curacao. Rich is the DJ instructor. They asked Rich, well, do you know any poets that could replace Lemon? Rich says, well, I can get you Ursula Rucker, uh, Just Greg, or Black Ice. So they said, well, we can't afford Black Ice. Said, yes, you can. So <laughs> Rich calls me up. And it's crazy because right at the moment when Rich called me up, I was in my loft in Hampton, Georgia, shooting a video. <laughs> but I was thinking while I'm shooting the video, like, how the fuck am I going to pay this rent next month? <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> I'm literally sitting there thinking that. And then the phone rings and it's Rich. So, yo, what up, what up, what up, bro? Where you at? I'm in Curacao, man. I'm at this Curacao at Kyoto Hulanda, which is like a slave museum slash hotel. Like, it's blowing my mind. Anyway, listen, man, do you feel like you want to make a couple, want to make a couple thousand bucks, you know, teach some poetry and in, in, in on Aruba for a couple weeks? I was like, yeah, nah. a couple thousand bucks. That's exactly what I need. That's <laughs> it. Look at God. I said, hell yeah, let's do it. So, uh, uh, but I had also been asked to come here and uh, and teach, uh, do some workshops and stuff here. Because I've been coming here steadily since like 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. just back and forth, master classes, performances, you know, and Amsterdam for some reason, and I've been to a lot of places on the planet, for some reason, this place resonated with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to say my trips to Africa, and I've had several have been uh, the most eye-opening, but also, I don't say disappointing. I don't want to say that because it wasn't just, but just eye-opening experience where I never felt like I was home mm. in Africa. I, always, I was always made to know from cats who I was with that I am not their brother. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm hundreds of years removed. Mm-hmm. And so I never felt home in Africa at all. You know, here in Amsterdam, for some reason, I've always felt at home. I don't know whether it's the fact that there's no uh, Dutch translation for the word celebrity. <laughs> uh, you know, um, it, it's a huge amethyst. Uh, it's a big, big amethyst. um depository underneath the, um, yeah. you know, a, a lot of Holland mm-hmm. is, is magnesium and, 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 and amethyst, which is my birthstone. Oh, wow. Uh, 
you know, so I don't know if it has to do with that. Uh, but I, it's or the closet here. racism. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'd be racism. able to feel at home if I wasn't fighting against something. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and even here, but it's so crazy because when I got here, and you know, Swat to Pete, you know, uh, is there? You know, that's the that's the oh, yeah. thing. You know, Swat to yeah. Pete is, is is a heavy and it's a heavy thing. You know, because these white folk traditionally have been taught. You know, these kids have been raised that the black man is the boogeyman. Yep. You know, Swatter Pete is the guy Santa Claus shows up. Yep. If you were a good kid, he gives you a gift. If you were a bad kid, Swatter Pete pops you over the head yep. and puts you in a sack and takes you back to Spain. Well, and and then then there's this. I mean, it 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 it's so interesting that you talk about your lady being Sermonese, and you know, folks that don't really know Amsterdam don't understand mm-hmm. that you've got Sermonese and Moroccans. Mm-hmm who have been in Holland for four generations. Well, no, but, actually. But, and longer, but still don't get treated that no, way. No, no, actually, no, actually, no, nah, bro. My lady is second generation. Her most, the black people have not been, I mean, you had. No, no, but what, like I, what I mean by that is I have friends who are Moroccan and Ceremonies so Moroccan, whose, yeah. whose grandparents were in were in the Netherlands. And so their mm-hmm. parents were born there and they were born there. And so mm-hmm. that's what I mean by that. Maybe the maybe the the third and fourth generation weren't born there, but they've been mm-hmm. there. And mm-hmm. and you've got you've got native European um folks from the Netherlands that are that are straight up ask you where are you from? And you'd be like here. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, no 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 like where are you from? And they'd be like here. And they'd be like, well, no, mm-hmm. where are your parents born? And they'd be like, motherfucker, here. And, right. and and so there's this there's this interesting xenophobia that that permeates this place that lifts itself up as this bastion of liberalism and acceptance. Oh man. And it's, it's incredible. And it's just not it's, that. It's, but that's no, it's, I mean, but that's well, the US. It's crazy because, because it's Amsterdam Amsterdam, Amsterdam is that. Rotterdam is that. These are, you know, now the rest of fucking Holland. Is you know wooden shoes and cheese. You know what I'm saying? You know, like you know, but the little other village, the other little villages. You know, but you know. So this is what the the new Holland is. Amsterdam, mm-hmm. Rotterdam, super super culturally diverse. There are 198 different cultures here in Amsterdam. You know, funny the Moroccan is us over yep. here. Yep. The Moroccan is the enemy. Yep. That's the face of the enemy. You know, they want to get, you know, the, the stark, you know, we have over here, we have our, we have a Trump, you know, his name is, uh, Hurt Wilders, mm. you know, crazy ass haircut. He's always fucking orange tan, always talking about some, you know, we got to get rid of the Moroccan scum and blah, 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 blah. You know, so it's, it's a weird thing to not have my face be the enemy. But still see an enemy, mm-hmm. you know. Still see that they have pegged somebody as an enemy, you know. Um, and then simultaneously, a place that has universally embraced Black American culture. Like I, there there are better hip hop clubs in Amsterdam than there are in the states, and and a full embrace of the culture. Most restaurants, almost every restaurant you go in, is soul music playing. The radio stations over here play so much better music than our radio oh, stations. Like you know, and so there's just yeah, it's a it's a real wild 
uh, paradox because it's like, wait a minute, this always amazed me about white people. You know, it's like, how can you love us so much but hate us so much? Like, that's just such a such a weird thing to me. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it, yeah, it, man, you know, you're comfortable with us entertaining you despite the fact that you've never embraced our humanity. And that's right. what it comes down right. to. And, and so it's funny because when I first moved over here, my man, uh, super activist and shit, you know, he, he was everywhere, you know, Ferguson, he was getting locked up right next to Cornell West, you know, Baltimore, he's getting locked up right next to, you know, Mark Mont Hill, you know what I'm saying? You know, he's everywhere, you know, Nick might've been at Sunny, you know, uh, uh, Sunny Brook when the dude, you know, <laughs> he's, he's everywhere, you know? And he called me up one day. He said, man, I heard you moved. I heard you moved to Amsterdam, bro. I said, yeah, I moved to Amsterdam. He said, so how is that? I said, I love it. He said, but why Amsterdam, bro? That's, that's the belly of the beast. That's where you, I said, well, I said, one, <laughs> bro, I see all that work that you're doing out there. Not to say that you, you know, the work is not necessary, but the only thing changed is your criminal record. Wow. Wow. That's the only thing that's changed is your criminal record. Um, I said, you don't know what it's like to not live in a police state until you don't live in a police state. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, healthcare out here is free for everybody until you're 18. Last year, almost I had, I had met, I really think I had COVID last year. Like, I, you know, they just didn't have a name for it, mm. but I was, I was almost, I almost died last December. I was in the hospital three and a half weeks. I came home New Year's Eve. My right lung, 90% of my right lung was infected with pneumonia. Wow. I had dominicococcal bacteria in my bloodstream. They told me I had, you know, in Dutch, the bedside manner is for shit over here. So, yeah, so you, we, we think you have about a 20% chance of survival. Uh, maybe you should call your family and prepare. I was like, well, okay, uh, uh, I guess I should. You know, like I said, it's so plain and Damn. shit. Like, yeah, you know, but um, I truly believe that if I wasn't here, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Kim Porter died two weeks prior before I got sick of the same exact thing because they underdiagnosed her mm. in America. American medicine, for what I had, underdiagnosed or misdiagnoses it like 90% of the mm. time. And um, so for healthcare, the same doctors that operate on the king operate on me. You know, education. There is no tier education no, here. That's right. There is no public parochial Catholic, suburban, private, you know, the university is no D1 to D4, community college, state college. When you go to engineering, you go to one of the two engineering schools here in the country and they are the top in the world. So, so with all of that, like how, cause, cause like this theme for you has been like, I've always been myself. And so mm -hmm. being there, is it less of a fight to be yourself than Absolutely. it is here? It's, it's, it's so funny because I came here really eager. 
really awesome. Like, oh, I, I really came on some American ego shit. Like, okay, I'm shitting states. I'm about to tear this little country up. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. I got here and was like, oh, shit. Nobody gives a fuck. <laughs> shit, <laughs> nobody gives a flying fuck. And... Uh, and I started learning, like, okay, there is no, because all of my homies are big Dutch celebrities. I, my, mm. my, my homie, Mert Muscle, is probably the second largest black comedian in the country. I mean, there are only like four, but he is the second one, you know. And um, uh, my man, Brain Power, who's like probably like Holland's Eminem. Mm. He's not as dope as Eminem, but he's Holland's Eminem, you know. Um, these are the cats who I hang out with. And I can walk down the street. My man Edson, who owns Pata, you know, you know, just just that alone, like black-owned boutique brand. Mm-hmm. We walk down the street, and nobody blinks an eye. There's no pandemonium. And I think that was like, oh wow, it's what Dave experienced when he went to Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it was a humbling. It was like, oh, I gotta really relocate myself. Stop, drop the ego dropped the, you know, all these things. I couldn't indulge in, in the poetry sense because they're mostly Dutch. I didn't know the language. So I could, you know, like I was even separated from my craft, Wow, you know, uh, in, in a sense. So, um, yeah, man, it was, uh, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, so back to the, so I met my lady, I did art rules that she changed my life literally. Cause it was the first place I'd ever been where it wasn't about black ice since my career started, it was about how I could pull these kids out of them. Mm. That's why I discovered how beautiful of a teacher I was. And uh, love ensued, obviously, and I gave up my, I gave up my, my son had just graduated high school. He was moving to New York. And I said, well, you know, I'm coming to Amsterdam. I was doing an international tour and I said, I'm going to end in Amsterdam. And she said, well, why don't you just stay? I said, all right, I'm going to stay. You know, I jumped out, I jumped out the boat. I got the blessing from my kids. Go to what dad you've been saying you wanted to live over there. So I jumped out the boat. I had little job prospects, uh, you, you know, teaching prospects or whatever. So, uh, yeah, man. And then circa five years later, I'm, I'm becoming a citizen this year. Wow. Uh, I'll have dual citizenship. Um, but it sounds like you just, you're, you're literally living your best life. I mean, there's a, yeah, man, I, there's another I, I, opportunity I, I, to father You're teaching, you're empowering yeah. you, but, but, but also, man, I mean, let, let's not, you haven't said it, but, but there's also something to loving and being in love and being loved back. And, Absolutely. and, and, and the part of that, that feeds us as men that we often kind of negate, mm. like, yeah, it ain't shit. It's cool. If it happened, if it don't happen, I'm good. But that's bullshit because when it does happen, it's dope as hell. But well, yeah, what I love is the fact that you have these real, it's one of the reasons why I, oh, I really want to, I tune into you because these are very real conversations that need to be had, you know? Love, I'm an Aquarius. I'm a lover of love. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I understand the action of it. You know, I understand that it is an action and not a response. Mm-hmm. I understand the work and the exercise that goes into it. I'm also an Aquarian. You know, um, I'm difficult. You know, I'm lofty. I'm aloof. Uh, I'm I'm wildest dreams and bane of existence. You know, say you know, like <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm all of these things. You know, and uh, 
even now, you know, my life is not, I, my, my love life, all my love life has been incredible. I can, I can tell you the story about my first kiss in kindergarten and every other significant moment after that. Like it's, I've had the most beautiful love life mm. when it mm. comes to that, you know, um, as, and, and it hasn't been no fairy tale, you know, like even right, you know, right now I'm my, my lady and I are, are for all intents and purposes, we, we are officially, we, we're not, to, we're together. We live under the same household, but we're not together. Mm. And, uh, yeah, man, like, um, it's, uh, it, it becomes a thing, man, you know, like, uh, so and it's funny because when I was when you when when um your assistant said yeah Jeff wants to know what is something that you always want to discuss that nobody ever asked you mm-hmm. and the first thing I said was uh, I, to myself I said what well, love you know I would love to I would love to really talk about love you know and and the experience of it and the the ne- the necessity of it mm-hmm. and um. And the real of it, because I've had very real relationships and experiences in my life, like my grandmother and my grandfather, and my, you know, my uncles and my aunts, and uh, and uh, uh, yeah, man, it's a uh, yeah. Right now, like right now, is yeah. Love pulled me over here. Love keeps me here. You know, uh, obviously, I have two children that I refuse to. They they gotta have me. Mm-hmm. You know, they got me. Um. And it's the first time ever in my life that something has taken precedence over over me walking my path. Or just recognizing that there is no path without that. Right. You know, like this is true too, right? Being able to discern that. Yeah. And being, you know, versus, you know, I, I, I apologize to my older kids all the time, like, man, it's crazy, you know, having having a pop this an artist like me is like having a pop there's a crackhead <laughs> you know because i'm chasing this thing like a fiend mm, mm, unapologetically mm, mm. and yeah. sometimes that shit don't pay off and and so, justifying the absences and the right, disconnect right and the lack of presence and, I, and telling yourself and i'm only saying this because i'm in it i've been there telling ourselves Oh no, the 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 possibility of the dream is what mm-hmm. my kids really need. Mm-hmm. And it's bullshit. Like on mm. on every imaginable level is bullshit. Because it is it's not that we're not supposed to be on the hustle or be on the grind or or evolving into the creation of something real. Mm-hmm. It's we still have to acknowledge that that's at a cost. Because our babies at the end of the day don't care. Like it, if 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 we had half the money and twice the time, they'd be happier. Right. Right. They'd be happier. And and don't get right. into don't get into the whole romance thing because <laughs> because it's a it's a whole nother issue. I mean, it's it's um you know we 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 get with we get with people. And we even put them in a box, especially when we got kids. I just I just wrote a piece. Um, I just wrote a piece called uh, "Mother, Partner, Lover," and mm. just mm. this 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 reality that my wife is all three of those things, 
and if all I feed is the mother because we wrapped up in what the kids need and I miss uh-huh. this whole woman like who disconnected from me is dope as hell and uh-huh. and still has aspirations and desires and and emotions and energy and if I don't feed uh-huh. her and and she starts dying to me then that affects mom but then there's a whole nother piece, which is like just lover, like because it, you know, I I I was counseling some of my some of my husband my husband trauma. I'm like, y'all, you every day you just gotta squeeze the booty just because, like, yeah, you like have to just listen. you it's just a, gotta do it, like a, you gotta do it. <laughs> my my goal my goal is to be inappropriate in the house. Mm. Like my goal <laughs> is for somebody else to be like, we can see you. Or for her to be like right. they watching, because right. as embarrassed right. as she may they, be in the moment, they see that they need to because see it, and need she needs to feel it. She needs, to, she feel needs to feel that, right? right. And uh, yeah, man, like um, it's just nest by like, you know. See, I'm we we don't this this subject here. Like it's just even in my uh, even in my whatever challenges I'm facing right now. Mm-hmm. I never ever uh my my love and my faith in love never get ne- it's never daunted. Ever. You know what I'm saying? Throughout break I've never been a cat with breakup and it's like, you know what, fuck these relationships, fuck everybody's <laughs> I've always when I, when a breakup happens, for some reason I get very uh introspective. I wanna learn, I wanna figure out, okay, where did I go wrong, what went wrong. What didn't I do? What did I do? You know, what works, what doesn't work? Because I got to love. It's, I have to, there's, I cannot exist without loving. If I do not love, I will die. But the reality is, the reality is, bro, there's only two emotions, love and fear. Love and and fear. And everything else is born out of love and fear. Everything else is emotional reaction to I tell people all the time now we talk I've had this discussion with with couple with couples and they say oh you know well I said well um I don't I don't subscribe to things like oh you gotta fight for love I think it's a, the biggest oxymoron in the world like it's love <laughs> there's no fighting there's no there's no war in love you don't fight for love sometimes you fight to love yeah I mean because because there are the reality of things that are trying to block you from love. It's not right. it's not that you're fighting to be in love. It's not that you're fighting for this love. It's that fear. You're fighting fear. Because mm-hmm. because it is it is fear that is the counter to. But but mm-hmm. but the other pieces that that's why I always get pissed when brothers be like, yo, I'm fearless. I'm like, nigga, then you loveless. Because you right, can't you, you can't Absolutely. be fearless and love. Now you can yeah. be courageous and fight fear. Mm-hmm. And that's when you that's when you really know what love feels like. So see, I was like I was raised by a woman, you know, my mom, like I said, she was for all intents and purposes, you know, she was the other woman all my life, you know, like with my not stepdad, but she the way she raised us, like those like when you said fear, it clicked in my head, like, wow, you know, I was raised by this woman who said you know, like even she's a Lutheran pastor, hmm. you know, got a master's of divinity. 
you know, um, my mom. And uh, she's one of 200 black women Lutheran pastors in the world. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a world of 18,000 Lutheran clergy. Similarly, my, one my, of, my aunt is a Presbyterian pastor. There, there are not mm-hmm. many women, uh, right. comparatively speaking. Yeah. But my mom always, she calls herself a, a radical Christian. Because she doesn't, she doesn't subscribe to, she, she never allowed us to say stuff like, you know, God is a jealous and vengeful God, or uh, you have to fear the Lord. No. How can you fear that which is um, omnipotent? How can you fear the Alpha and Omega? You know, there's no reason you, the biggest, these are things my mom told me, there's the biggest mishap as you move through life, understand love and understand that you can't, certain things, when you love properly, when you love properly and you're, and, you're, and you're upright, a lot of that fear just goes out the door. And that my, mm-hmm. one of my favorite quote, quotes is from Mother Teresa. And she says, you know, I have learned that if I love, you know, I've learned that if I love even through pain, if I still love, I, I, I realize that there is no pain only love mm. like in the sense that and that's how I live like I'm I'm constantly you know like I'm I just try to love everything I try to you know like in this uh, I, I have read a book John Baines the science of love so John Baines wrote Stella Man and secret science and all these things hermetic you know hermetic uh, her, hermeticist and um and, I, uh, and, and he said uh you know that that book was heavy the science of love because the first half of the book broke down what was false, what, what, what false love was mm-hmm. second half broke down what true love. And I'm talking about down to sadism and masochism and, you know, jealousy and the, mm-hmm. the, the Oedipus, the Oedipus complex mm-hmm. and the Diana complex. And the, you know, like it's, it's a heavy, I tell cat, I told cats all the time. I recommend it for you and your couple, if you in a couple, but if you're going to read it, read it with your woman simultaneously, <laughs> because if you open it up, it's going to change your shit. And if she ain't on the same page with you, it's going to fuck y'all up. You know, like it's, it's that heavy. You know, when we talk about when you get into psychological infidelity versus physical Ooh, infidelity. Jesus Christ, man. Don't start. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, like start. that type of. Because mo- mo- most of us in general are not prepared for that. You know, when we talk about, when we talk about uh, uh, gender roles, you know, so, and I know now we live in this society now where all of these things have become kind of blurred and, you know, this kind of thing. But, um, you know, the fact that, you know, it's, you know, the fact that there's a certain responsibility a man has as the, as the uh, knowledge force, the knowledge threshold of this universal combination. And what the woman's do, what the woman's responsibility is, you know, just the fact that a woman doesn't realize they are our weather. Mm. You know, like your woman is your weather. You attach to it. When you attach to a woman, she becomes your weather. Dude, literally, when people ask me how I'm doing, the first thing I say is my wife likes me today. So it's great. Or they're, they're, they are the creators. Yeah. So they, they are the they are the creators. They are the creators of nature. They're the holders of the creative force. They are our weather. When your woman. 
that when you connect yourself, and here's the thing. So when you connect yourself with a woman, if you connect to a woman who, uh, who is hysterical, jealous, these kinds of things, you know, like women don't, a lot of women don't understand their power and what the responsibility that comes with that is the fact that, you know, when a man attaches himself to you spiritually, which means he marries you, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause marriage is not the institutionalism that, you know, marriage comes way before it. And it's the fact that we, we don't take it that we don't take it seriously enough unions, you know, all the spiritual children that are made when two people, mm-hmm. you know, it's not always physical Man, children. And so a woman here, becomes um, responsible for a man's, a woman becomes responsible for the inspiration for a man's material gain in this, on this plane. When a man connects to you and he gives you himself emotionally, you become responsible for his inspiration for material gain. No, you're not responsible for him getting money, but understand you're his weather. So plenty of times people don't realize, I, and as a barbershop, I watch, you know, practically, I watch it happen. The cat comes in, he got a new chick, he got a new sis with him, he, you know, shoulders back, boom, 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 he's doing his thing, and then two months later, he drained, he, he not, you know, he not speaking with the same but the but the flip but the flip side of that brother is that we also got to understand how we as as men and so Absolutely. often women think they with a man but they with a boy dressed like a man mm. and so we get we get messed up because we project right. in man and she like all right nigga man and or you say or or they with a man that doesn't necessarily understand the responsibility and the, and, and, and what are as men, as the, as the, the knowledge keepers and the knowledge force of this creation, a lot of us are grown ass men and still don't understand who we are. And it's not even so much. We don't, it's not even making us little boys. It's just not understanding who you are as a man. You're not a boy no more. Well, in a lot of ways, that's who we even are as humans. I mean, I, I think yeah. I think you talked earlier just about how you were brought up. And and there is this power in identity. And when you mm-hmm. when you clearly understand the power that went into God believing that you were necessary before the beginning of the creation of the world. And that mm. there was a lineage of people that had to survive in order for mm-hmm. you to be born at a certain moment in time, that that mm-hmm. gift would be plugged into the world at that moment. Nigga, if you don't, if you don't think you the shit because of that, you're confused. And right. so, and so sometimes you're right. It's, it's not about this man boy piece. It is about, do I acknowledge the power of my just my birth and that in that that's not a narcissistic thing that I think that I'm better than anybody else it is a reality that the universe desired me to be Uh placed into this moment in time with my particular gift to be able to offer that gift to the universe in a way Uh that nobody else could in this time and, and if I don't recognize that, then my relationship with any woman that I'm with 
my relationship with my children, my relationship with my parents, my relationship vocationally is off because I'm missing. So when I talk about, when people ask me about love, because most people want to talk about it in this very surface level, unrealistic fantasy. Uh, right. You, you have these fairy tales that society is put in your head, but also, uh, uh, I want, when I talk about love, I talk about love, not <laughs> man and not love on between a man and a woman, mm-hmm. love between a romantic couple. I talk about what you were just saying, but you know, love, love of everything, love of existing, being able to love on some flowers. Cause romance ain't love. It's you romance. Know, right. And, and, um, and man, yeah, but like, you know, people, uh, women have said, cause I've been married and divorced three times, you know, and we'll get married again, you know, <laughs> uh, Quincy Jones, you know, like, uh, you know, I, 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 I believe in the, you know, I, I, I know what love is. So no, it, I'm never stifled by my own experience on what the whole, on what the aspect of it is. So yeah. Okay. I'm going through a breakup. Right now, I'm probably loving more than I've loved throughout my relationship just because we're, for some reason, this is, and it's not even like, oh, I waited this long to love on her in the way she deserved or blase. It's no, this is how I turn, this is who I turn into. Okay, we're, we're breaking up. We're, 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 we're going to go our separate ways. We have these, we have these children. And before the children, we have each other. So I'm going to love you through this process. Ain't going to be no animosity. Mm. Ain't going to be no hard feelings. I'm going to love you through this process because it's all the process. And, and, and you know, we too busy, too much with relationships and reality shows. And all, we get all of these conjured up dumbass ideas about what love is supposed to be. So my experience with love has just been so genuine. I my three kids, my, 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 my other three children's mothers are like super cool and super tight, mm. you know, because they love each other. They've, they've gotten to this place where love is, is, is necessary. It's the necessity, but no it, matter but it has, what, but it have, has to be modeled. And, and I feel mm-hmm. like that what I, what I feel like I hear you saying is even in your imperfections, whatever you have or have not been able to do in inside the relationship, that you have attempted tempted to model love. And so even in the flaws of the relationship, it's not void of love. Like like my, my parents, my parents got divorced when I was seven. And um, I, I was talking to somebody who I knew in high school a couple of months ago. And mm. we were just catching up on some things. And I said, yeah, well, my parents got divorced, blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, your parents got divorced. I, I said, my parents been divorced since I was eight. And she was like, you lying. I said, why you say that? She said, because I saw your parents when we were in high school and they loved each other. I said, well, yeah, they did. She said, no, 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 no. Y'all got out the same car at events and your parents sat next to each other at, at track meets. And, and I, I've been in conversations with both of them at the same time. And, and I said, my parents loved each other and, and still love each other, despite the fact that my father's gone. Um, they just realized that 
they didn't need to be married anymore. I never once felt like my parents didn't love each other. Um, Mm. And because I never felt like that, I never felt like I had to understand why they got divorced. That's crazy because, uh, yeah, man, my, my pop, you know, once I got older, once I became an, uh, an, uh, an adult, like literally after 21, 22 years old, uh, my pop started telling me, you know, like what the real was, yeah. you know, like, and, and, you know, so my mom has a piece of my father's heart that no woman will ever have. You know, and to know that, to know that he know that he feels, and he always embraces that. Him and my mom are not necessarily the best of friends at all, you know, but mm-hmm. he acknowledges that, like, oh no, your mom, mm-hmm. Linda's my Linda's my heart. That's my baby. Mm-hmm. Like, she's got that chunk, you know. And my mom, to a certain degree, also is like, yeah, you know, Ronald, whatever. But you, you know, and, and to see that. You know, yeah. when we have family affairs. Yeah, you can't, you you know, can't they, fake they, it. You can't fake that. Right. Listen, they, they bop. That's their thing. You know, bop in the <laughs> dance, right? So they at my brother's wedding, they avoided each other the whole wedding. And then the DJ put bop music on. <laughs> and they was in the middle of the floor with each other. And that's their, that's their connection. And this is what love is to me. You know, like at my, my cousin Portia, you know, my aunt Debbie, she, she passed, but she, she, uh, she had terminal cancer, but she lived long enough to see her daughter get married. Right now, my uncle, my uncle Stubbar says the dopest father in the world to me. Uh, he had a, my cousin C. Michael out of wedlock, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and my aunt, you know, snap, you know, listen, I'm, we ain't divorcing, but I ain't working no more. Like this, and my, and my <laughs> uncle worked for the gas company. Like, wasn't like he was like a Fortune Five. He's <laughs> like, I ain't working no more. And my aunt was like bilingual, working to, at the you know United Nations kind of thing. And my uncle and, and then my aunt said, "Listen, um, I don't ever want to hear about that. I don't want to ever hear that that boy's name in my presence. Like talking about my wow. cousin." My uncle says, "Okay." I'm, we're not going to divorce. They got, you know, my cousin Portia, that's, that, that's their child. Uh, we're not going to divorce. She said, and he said, but best believe, and don't you ever think for a, for a second that my son is not going to know who his father is and grow up with his father. You don't want me to mention him to you? Cool. But don't you ever think that my son is not growing up with his father. You know, hmm. don't ever think that our daughter does not know her brother, because I'm gonna make sure that I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna eat all this crow you putting at me, but you ain't gonna stop me from being a dad, you know. And for me, that's the difference between my dad and my uncle, mm. is because my father will let things stop him mm. from being a father. He's let things stop him from being a dad, you know. And uh, and so circa. My cousin's getting married and we're all grown now. You know, my, my, uh, my cousin C. Michael, uh, is grown man at the wedding. The dopest part of the wedding, you know, of course my cousin get married to, you know, 
to to her husband, my cousin, you know, my but the dopest part of the wedding was my cousin C. Michael walked my aunt down the aisle. Mm. That made me cry at the wedding that my aunt had evolved mm-hmm. in such a way that she was able to accept and love on my cousin who we could not mention mm-hmm. in the household with her growing up. So at my cousin's wedding, at her daughter's wedding, to watch her, to watch my cousin, my cousin walk her down the aisle mm-hmm. was like, this is what love is about. Mm-hmm. That's love. Because it really it is the true ability to see the humanity in another. No judgment. All it's honor. Our bonus. All honor. You know, yeah, the, before, Zulu, before the, Zulu, we... the Zulu and Kosa people have something that they say, Saobona, you know, and the response is Yebo. And Saobona is a very intimate thing when you say it to somebody. You say Saobona, and it means I see you in the most intimate of ways. And Yebo is I see you too. And this is what we're talking about. This is Saobona here when you really get to see somebody, you know. So, yeah, man, I just had... You know, I had these love relationships, you know, and experiences, but I have, and I also grew up around stay in men. You know, it, I don't, I don't, cats don't throw in the towel. You figure it out. They'll say, you don't, you don't run from it. You know, those, the, the wedding vows say, you know, in sickness and health, rich or poor, better or worse till death do we part. At no point does it say, unless we don't feel like it. And we, we probably gonna have to have another conversation about that. Cause, cause I think. Yeah. I, I want to pull together a bunch of brothers to have conversation about love because seldom do brothers have conversation mm. with love. So that, that's what we're going to do. Um, let, me, let me do this before I let you get out of here, man. I got, I got a couple of questions for you. These are simple. Uh, okay. These, these are simple ones. So I got a, I got a segment called The Award Show. Mm-hmm. The greatest category is the greatest poem of all time is mm, the greatest poem of all time is the prophet Khalil Gibran. Mm. Tell me why. I'm not supposed to ask you uh, why, but tell me why. Well, one, Khalil Gibran is probably one of the most beautiful writers that I've ever read. I mean, sheesh. You talking about just beauty and eloquence and, and profoundness. And two, it just it addresses everything. You know, speak to us of speak to us of politics, speak to us of parenthood, speak to us of children, speak to us of love. Hmm. And each each uh poem afterwards because I can't even I've, I've, I've read the prophet out loud to myself just because it was that beautiful mm. <laughs> like I gotta read this out loud just so I can hear myself utter these words like just beautiful writing and 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 just beautiful meaning like yes oh, for me practically when I came across the book I had had, I was beyond 33, so I had enough lifetime experience to apply practicality. Mm-hmm. You know, at, you know, I think at 33 years old, anything you read, religious, spiritual, whatever, you should be able to apply practical experience to it. 
you know, so that's where I get my truth from. And with Khalil Gibran, when I read it, I didn't read, I didn't even know about the prophet until I was about 37. Mm-hmm. So when I read it, it was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? And so, yes, greatest, greatest poem, you know, greatest poem to me is that whole book, mm. you know? Um, the- yeah, I, I would initially, I would go say, Oh, last poets, niggas scared of revolution, but that, that wouldn't be the greatest poem because mm-hmm. I really believe that the greatest poem has to be completely immersed in love, mm-hmm. you know, and niggas are scared of revolution was Umar wrote it in love and then plead, but it wasn't about love, yeah. you know, so and it wasn't birthed out of it either. Yeah. 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 Um, the, the award for, the city in the world who loves poetry the most. Mm. Mm. <laughs> hey, Atlanta. Really? <laughs> like, I Are you serious? I, I mean, I, I have to say either, either Atlanta or Chicago. Okay. All right. Let me ask you this. You know, like I mean, I know I know that New York has the Bowery Poetry Club and New Eureka and all these things, but that Atlanta thing, man, you know, like that Atlanta thing, like when you used to go Apache, which is now no longer Apache. Apache but, was crazy, man. Listen, man, and for, like Apache and, 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 and was a period at a period of like, time, if you loved art mm-hmm. and culture. Went, it was Apache. The, it was the Apache. I don't care whether you're a poet, whether you're a singer, whether you're an MC, whether right. you were a visual artist. Like it, it was, it was a beautifully curated moment in time. Right, uh, like New New Yorkian was dope to me. It's a dope spot. Still is a dope spot, but I never felt at home in New Yorkian. Yeah, you know, I never felt like that. You know, and I think maybe because I wasn't from the era of Miguel Pinero. Well, I was gonna say know, I think and, New Yorkian became this place for purists, and if you didn't, mm-hmm. if you didn't exist within this narrow framework right. of the purists, or what they view or what they say exactly. was the purists, because a lot of them niggas in there they claim purists, but they be full of shit. You know, no, I'm not, with you, but 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 even even know, but that was the feel of it for me. Like Apache right, was just right. like nigga, come. And if you got right. bars, spit them. If you got verses, give them. Spit them, right. I always felt like New York's poetry scene, Bowery Poetry Club, was very whitewashed. You know, mm. they kept a couple brothers in there and a couple sisters in there, but it was pretty whitewashed. It was that literary community, you know, who looked down on spoken word or looked down on poets who do performance poetry, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Brooklyn Moon was dope back in the day. You know, Brooklyn Moon was real heavy, but like I said, Apache, man, there was never a time that I went into Apache that I felt out of place. There were times when I, I mean, I got fronted on in New Yorkian. Specifically, the host decided to shit on me mm. because of who I was. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess that gave them some type of ego boost. So I would have to say, yeah, Apache. Yeah, the Apache. Or, but I've, I've, I've. I don't have to say that, Patch. I can't even. You know, Chicago got some ill, got got some ill things. But man, Apache was the personification of. Or I had to say my city and Black Lily. You know, uh, well, I was Black surprised Lily you didn't and, say Philly. 
But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you Atlanta. I'm gonna let you rest on that. Let me let me ask you well, this. See, because because yeah, because Philly was more it was all encompassing. You know, I come up in that era. We all me, Jill, yeah. Rich Medina, the roots. Yeah. Uh, we were all it was, you know, the poets hung with the MCs, hung with the musicians, hung well, with and, you know, and, we, and it was a and and it really there were so many blurred lines. Because if you don't mm. if you don't listen to Jill and think poetry. You can't. You don't have no ear. Like right, when right. when I I feel like when I listen to Jill, I feel like it's more poems put to music than I do songs written to oh, yeah, to no, meet she's a, a poet to, first. Yeah, Jill, you know Jill's a, Jill's a poet yeah. first. You know she's one of my best friends. You know so like she's always you know that's what I love about her about Malcolm Jamal Warner mm-hmm. because they say I am a poet. You know Malcolm Jamal Warner said I'm a poet musician actor <laughs> you know jill says i'm a poet act you know she's a poet musician actor acting is third you know musician music is second poetry is always first you know mm-hmm. so but the best ones and yeah. all of you uh combine them because <laughs> because there's there's not a time i don't feel like jill is performing on stage I don't feel like, so being, yeah, she, yeah, she, yeah, is, she, she is an actress, you know. poet, singer, all at the same time. Um, yeah. who, who's the most underrated wordsmith in hip-hop? Mm, most underrated wordsmith in hip-hop, I would have said Black Thought, but I think he's getting his just due now. Like, I think he's now, like, been, in the, la- in the last know, five years, people have been like, oh, yeah. shit. And especially in like in the last was when he did that freestyle on Flex. Yeah. That he just, you know. Um most underrated wordsmith in hip hop. All of hip hop history, you say. I'm, I'm like you you, you answer okay, the question, okay. yeah. Um mm. Cause there's a mm, lot of damn. them, actually. <laughs> so if I say it's so many things, it's like, all right, damn, who's the Who's most? Who's who's the most underrated in in hip hop? I'm I'm a mm, I'm a dare to say, and I'm sure I'll get off the phone call. Like, nah, that wasn't the one. This, you know, it's like a short list. You got Pharrell Munch, mm. you know, who I think has always been underrated without you know, question, and always, you know, under that raucous records cloud of. You know, uh, I, you know, Pharaoh. I'm always amazed by his 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 syntax, his lexicon, his like the how he weaves words, how he weaves style, stutter stepping, and enchantments. And man, he's a he's a poet, yo. Like he's incredible. So Pharaoh Monch, but then but then I gotta say thought too because cats don't even really. Cats like oh Jay Z versus DMX. I said I would like to see Jay Z versus versus Thought. Wow, I would like to see that. I said and 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 it be about it's not about hits, it's about lyrics. That would be interesting. I don't think Jay Z would. I, I literally Jay-Z, was getting Jay-Z ready to say Jay Z doesn't stand yeah. a chance. I don't even Jay wouldn't even do it. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't because he wouldn't let it. He wouldn't allow his, his his. He wouldn't allow his reputation to be tarnished like that. It's one of the reasons why I think he never did. A song with Black Thought. Mm, damn, that's right. After, after he did that Renegade with Eminem, and Eminem kind of like, oh no, that was it. 
Since I'm in a position to talk to these kids and listen That's one of my favorite 16 bars ever. Listen, I, I, and, and you know, after that, because I, I used to argue with Cass and Barbershop, man, you only like Eminem because he's white. No, yeah, that nigga no. nice. No, that's <laughs> not true. You know, that nigga, that nigga is nice. And, that, and, and, guess what? and between, between. He probably grew up, he probably grew up poorer than any of us. So he's not coming from no white privilege place. Well, in in between Renegade and Dead Wrong. Mm, Listen. Man, listen. But, uh, yeah, like... I thought thought you might have gone further back, though. Underrated? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But see, see, for me, like, I feel like, you know, my favorite MC, you know, well, my number one MC was Rock Him until Thought did that 11 minute freestyle on flex. I called, I called, thought up like you have officially <laughs> taken Rock Him's place. You are my favorite MC ever, man. You know, you know like that, you know, because his wordplay and his, but then thought is quite the philosopher as yeah. well. Like you really, if you really listen to, you know, when he gives you songs like Dorchesky, you know, Dorchesky, you gotta listen to it. Like mm-hmm. he's really going in, like philosophically. So, uh, and I would say Rakim, but I don't think Rakim is ever un- underrated. No, he, he you know? he's 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 been fully acknowledged as but he's the god. Yeah. Say he's the god MC. You know, before Hove claimed that Rakim personified. Yeah, no, without question, without question. So who did you think? Who did you think I was going to say? I wasn't sure. I didn't know how. Like like for instance, I didn't know if you was going to go back and throw a curveball like like wise intellect, like holy intellect. I mean, like um. Uh, oh wow! Wise, wise intel- intelligent, wise intelligent from, from, from poor righteous teachers. Yeah, who was yeah, crazy. Cool. But but and and those are the kind of guys that I don't think ever really got their due. I think they got lost in this in this um, mosaic of hip hop at the time because it was so much. And mm. if you wasn't listening, you could have missed them altogether. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. And especially when you talk absolutely. about wordsmith. I mean, Keith Murray. Yeah, Keith 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 Murray, Big L. Um, on the low, Tracy Lee from Philly. Oh wow, Castle, you know, on nah. Tracy Lee was still that, that Many Faces album. Mm-mm. You're not familiar with Tracy Lee. I know Tracy Lee. I'm saying I I I wouldn't even have thought about that until you said it. Man, that. That Many Faces album was incredible. And he was the first cat to have Biggie feature on a song. Mm. Hand, keep your hands high. Mm-hmm. So that was him, you know. But but you know, it's so I, I see these these questions like we could have that that's an hour-long conversation. Because no, we'll keep we'll because we'll keep, keep coming thinking, up with yeah. cats, you know, who have been because right now you got cats like Sky Zoo. Um, um, uh, 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 what's my man out of, out of, uh, out of Baltimore, out of, um, out of Baltimore and DC Odyssey. Oh shit. Yeah. So let me ask you this before you get out of here. What, what, what bar, what's your favorite bar of all time? Mm. My favorite bar of all time. I don't know if I have a favorite bar. I got a favorite bunch of bars <laughs> of all time. Like, um, no ledge, Rakim. Mm. 
the whole joint. <laughs> the whole sip the juice, and I got enough to go around. And the thought takes place uptown. I grew up on the sidewalk, banging the street, talk, talk, think New York. I go to Queens, Queens, get brew from Brooklyn, money in Manhattan. I've never been took and go uptown to the Bronx, boogie down, I'm on top of the going but lay around. Time to build my juice back up, prop stack up. Suckers get backed up. Don't doubt the clout. You know what I'm about. Knocking niggas off. Knocking niggas out. Shaking them up. Breaking them up. Breaking them up. Taking them up. Standing on shaky ground. Too close to the edge. Let's see if I know the ledge. Man, on that, we... Yeah, no. That's it. We ending on that. We ending on that, bro. (laughs) No, we ending on that. You know, (laughs) that that whole... uh, um, That whole joint, say, um, uh, uh... uh, uh, I grew up on I grew up on the science side, New York Times side. Uh, uh, oh, let me say, um, he say, uh, what he say, uh, I'm at war a lot, like I'm war to die. So the brothers grew up a lot. When I cook beef, the smoke never clear. Are, areas are in fear because this here is severe. Living life too close to the edge, hoping that I know the ledge. So, you know, up top, up top. girls. He said, uh, I'm late for school. I catch the train. Girls sit my. S- Girls see my style. Uh, girls sit my style. My thing, he said, uh, I pull up like exercise. Show my intellect. Inspect the thighs. Select the best <laughs> one. Pull it to the side. Keep it occupied for the rest of the ride. Reading my resume. You know, she, she know I'm ready. Cool. Just keep me after school. Just meet me at the school. We can moan and groan until your moms come home. And you'll be calling me out. Don't poem sweat me. Since you been, she didn't want to let me loose, come get me, as if she wanted to sit the juice, but the streets await me. So I take my gun off safety, because a lot of niggas hate me. Coming out of the building, they set me up, sprayed with automatics, they wet me up, in the puddle of blood, I lay close to the edge, hoping that I know the ledge, like, like... And that's why he's the God. Like, you know, like, yeah. he inspires shit that I yeah. say, like... Yeah. Reporting live from the murderous streets of the brotherly helicopters that help us see everything under the sun here. We under the gun here, finger on the trigger, can't mistake the stench the way it linger on a nigga. Yeah. You got gold, you'll find covered here. Where bodies there, three days old, get discovered here. You know the place where naughty head kids don't get mothered here. Familiar face and failure is fed firsthand. Success will kill your taste. This where they hide it. Once decided, they gon' slight your race. It's customary to cut your nose so you can spice your face. The cops invade your space with the strong arm and the wrong arm of the law is cock diesel. It's hard to fight the case. This where they smite his grace. And take swigs of sweet sorrow and hopelessness with a shot of pain for the chase. This is where the dreams end up as staircase nightmares by the shotgun. This is where the light dares not come. It's dark here. But you feel the heat when hammers spark here. The pen is mighty, but the sword rings. So watch it talk here. Silhouetted and chalk here. Shots fired, fun bedded. Kids running, look how fast the park clear. Nigga, why you staring? Watch your gawk here. You'll be the next where the paramedics lean over yelling clear. Yeah, this is where the beasts roam. They walk about and everybody's silent, man. Don't nobody talk about the unspeakable. Where girls go clubbing with their mothers and cats is closer to their street friends than their own brothers and shit. We think nobody love us. And we put everything but God above us and take what scraps they shove us. Consumers, not owners, we copping what they tagging and selling. We bragging and yelling for what we can't afford to. And they applaud you for pretending sober. You spin until the spending's over. Note on that roadway, it got you bending over. Anyway, Man, you crazy. Listen. <laughs> listen. The legendary Black Ice, man, thanks for coming through. Men thrive, brother. All we trying to do here, man, is 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 help brothers show up whole, operate in joy and live with power, man. And I'm I'm so appreciative that 
that you really attempt to personify that, man, every single day, brother. I really, I really do appreciate you, man. Brother Jeff, it's a pleasure, man. Listen, it, it, it is such a pleasure and an honor to be able to have conversations with men that are willing to be transparent, that even in their imperfection, uh, they drop bars of wisdom, also are open to seeking and learning and growing and becoming better. And that's what Men Thrive is about. Showing up whole doesn't mean showing up perfect. Operating with joy doesn't mean dealing with pain. And operating and living with power doesn't mean that I'm never weak. And so it just means that in the process of having wholeness and joy and power, that I recognize that those other realities are part of my process. And so I know that I uh, both live with, struggle with, thrive in those realities myself. And I know a lot of you do too. And so I appreciate those of you that take this ride with us. Uh, thank you so much to Mo, to Madison, uh, to the team that makes the Men Thrive podcast happen, to my brothers and sisters at Henry Health uh, that help us understand so much of what this behavioral health work looks like. If you're interested in knowing more about therapy and access to therapy, we ask that you go to the Men Thrive website and connect to Henry Health so you can find out more information on therapy. And above all else, we just hope that in the midst of this crazy world that you love each other. But more than that, that you love yourself. Y'all, this is Jeff Johnson. I hope to be back with you next week with another episode of Men Thrive. Uh, and until then, I will be working and serving. Peace. Yo, thanks for listening to Men Thrive. Did you like us? If you like us, visit your go-to podcast provider and check out other episodes. And also go deeper by joining our community at menthrive.com. 